Hi, welcome to Offscript. I'm Zach Lewis. And I'm Dr. Draper. Today on the show, we are taking a look at Thanksgiving, the new Eli Roth horror film. A surprising send-up to slasher horror. I didn't expect it. I'm excited to talk about it. We're also taking a look at Alexander Payne's The Holdovers, a cozy Christmas feature set in 1970 at Barton Academy in Western Massachusetts, starring Paul Giamatti and newcomer Dominic Sessa. We're going to talk about The Hunger Games, The Battle of Songbirds and Snakes. We didn't actually plan on covering this movie on the show, but Andy went and saw it. I have not seen it. It's a micro-review, just like Priscilla last week. Folks on YouTube seem to love that. We're also going to talk about a couple of trailers that are coming up soon. Uh, we need to talk about the news. And before we get to everything, a bit of personal, personal show news that I just want to open the show with real fast. Andy, uh, we had quite the run on YouTube last week, and I don't have YouTube up on the Facebook live stream to see it. You can go check out our YouTube channel. A lot of great things are happening, but fundamentally what happened is we got a little backed up in production and ended up posting individual reviews really quick day after day, five days in a row. And we got a ton of people looking at our Marvel's review and our Priscilla review. And I'll admit that I was a little... I was a little forward with the marketing on, on the Marvel's review, and I had a big <laughs> thumbnail with Carol Danvers looking back at letters that say, not bad. And I said, don't believe the hate. Um, because every review I saw of the Marvels on YouTube is, is all bad. God, everybody hates that movie. Oh, it's so bad. Marvel's got to change direction. We've been talking about Marvel pivoting for weeks, months on this show. Um, but the Marvels is genuinely not as bad as people thought. We did not say it is a great film. We didn't even say it's a super good film. Um, my God, people have been mad at us on the internet. How does this happen? How, like what? We had like 70 something you know, comments and people telling us we're morons. It's amazing. I'm, I'm blaming your thumbnail because just like a it's, lot of people yeah. have not, a lot of people are hating on this movie who have not seen it. A lot of people hated on our video and, and I guarantee you didn't watch the whole thing. They saw the thumbnail and decided to instantly like start keyboard warrior. Yeah. Um, and, and that's largely what happened. Like, uh, and, and a couple of people did, did watch, uh, for sure. But a lot of it is just like instant reactions, not, not watching the content at all. I've got the thumbnail up here on, uh, Facebook. <laughs> Check it out. I don't, I, I again, I, I little, I little baited people, but like for the most part, I, I feel comfortable with what we said Name about the, the game, review. baby. It's available, yeah, from last week's episode, episode 232. Uh, go check it out and 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 tell me if I'm nuts. Leave a comment, I guess, with everybody else. Hey, for what it's worth, all those comments, all those likes, they only bump the channel. So for every hater out there that thought we were wrong about the Marvels, thanks for the view, all right? And with that, we should go to the news. Our first story this week, new Jason Bourne movie in the works at Universal. Jesus, Andy, they're making another Jason Bourne. Not starring Jeremy Renner, according to Variety. This one's actually... Supposedly, Universal's planning on approaching, I should say, Matt Damon to see if they can get him to sign on. This is so early in development, it may not even happen, but it is uh, starring, uh, going to have a certain director attached to this, a newcomer that I'm excited to see what they have going on. What is this about? New Jason Bourne movie. So I'm going to use this joke I've been using all all week. Uh, old man born. <laughs> we're we're man having born. this resurgence of old... You know, stars that are people that had that were stars in a certain role. I think of um, Hugh Jackman coming back in Wolverine, and that's that movie Logan comes from the comic Old Man Logan. So I'm going to be using that joke well, when they keep doing these. Um, Matt Damon, who's in his 50s now, coming back for this super spy Jason Bourne. If you if you don't remember, because it's actually been quite a while now, uh, the Jason Bourne movies were these uh, spy action movies. 
starring Matt Damon in the 2000s. Uh, this is when Hollywood was pivoting away from the action star action stars like Arnold Schwarzenegger and Steven Seagal, these kind of big buff dudes to more the more everyday man who could still like fight and whoop ass. And that's what Matt Damon kind of embodied. There were three of these films. They were very, very successful. Um, they tried to have Jeremy Renner kind of take over. Jeremy Renner for a while was going to be the guy. Like he was going to take over for like Tom Cruise in Mission, Mission Impossible. Impossible. Can, yeah. Yeah. Same thing for Matt Damon in, he, in these Boar movies. And it just and he got run over by that snowplow. Boy, yeah, that was, that was the end of it for him. I hear he's doing <laughs> well, by the way. He's like 10 months into recovery. So I hope we see Jeremy Renner and more stuff. So, yeah, we, we, again, we're bringing this thing of, like, we can't cast new people in older properties. They're so afraid. Um, so we're bringing back the old guys to uh, reprise these roles. This is a big action movie, so I don't know if... There's no there's no details on the plot, so who knows if Jason Bourne is coming back or if he's got a new young protege. Probably going to be a young girl because that's what they seem to want to pair all these old guys up with. Um like Haley Steinfeld and Jeremy Renner and Hawkeye, like that right. kind of dynamic. So we'll see. I, I'm excited by the potential talent attached, uh, namely All Quiet on the Western Front filmmaker Edward Berger. Uh, we, we covered All Quiet on the Western Front here on the show. Came out on Netflix, what, earlier this year? Last year, because I think it was up for Oscars, right? Yeah, it was. It won an Oscar for, I think, sound design. Excellent, excellent picture. Really exciting German director. Um We'll have to see. There's not even a script right now. This is early, early stages. I'm sure Matt Damon would love to get a payday. But like last I heard, um, he did an interview before uh, yeah, before Oppenheimer. And he was saying that he's been really choosy about roles. He's been really particular. He doesn't want to just do the same old, same old. Like he might, he might turn this down. Like he's getting up there. We'll see. Um, then again, I'm sure it'd be a sweet payday. Uh, speaking of things that are coming back uh this new karate kid movie that just got announced today the day we're doing the show tuesday uh, is going to be uniting jackie chan and ralph macchia star of the original karate kid series and the uh the, the cobra kai right he's in that show on yep. netflix and jackie chan star of the karate kid remake starring uh jaden jaden williams Jayden right smith. yeah jaden smith i can't even remember his name yeah that that one they're going to be in one movie now and they're looking for a karate kid Andy, what do you know about this? The karate verse is upon us. Um, I'm so old, I, I will now live to have seen a fourth karate kid come of age. Um, this property originally came out in, of course, 1983 with Ralph Macchio as the titular karate kid. There were two more sequels. It was, this has been rebooted twice already. Uh, it was rebooted in the mid 90s with Hilary Swank as the karate kid and uh, the late Pat Morita. Uh, reprising his role as Mr. Miyagi in the 2000s or so, Jackie Chan came on board with Jaden Smith, and they like went to Hong Kong or Japan or wherever. And there, there was another movie. There's been the TV show that's been a big hit, and so finally now the Karate Verse is going to be complete, and uh, they're going to reboot the property yet again. Ralph Macchio's almost 60, or he may be 60 now. Um, kind of bringing them all together. It's a brilliant move. But it makes me roll my eyes because, again, it's old man Daniel, old man LaRusso, back in the, the saddle. He's got to teach someone karate. He's been playing this poor character for 40 years in one sense or, or, or another. 
uh netflix's cobra kai announced uh that that uh, they were going to be doing their sixth and final season uh, earlier this year so that show is wrapping up assumedly this will be following autumn tales of that because like andy said it's the, it's it's the karate kid verse right karate verse cobra kai verse uh there is an open casting call for the kid they don't know who they're going to use yet they're telling kids to submit content at karatekidcasting.com submit your audition tapes right like get it Post on TikTok. Promote our film for us. Uh, huge I was, move I was, from Sony. Boy, just great. I, I was going to say that these uh, the, a casting call like this is nothing but, but PR. They are absolutely not going to watch any of those auditions. I guarantee that they already have a short list of like 10 kids to fill this role. Yeah. It's not going to be anyone that gets discovered, they're, but they're, they're going to have 10,000 people submit karate tapes and try to go viral on, on right. TikTok. They're they're currently in talks with all four of the new Ninja Turtles and everybody else is 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 beastering, right? Like one of them will, will pan out to be a child actor that will work, but we'll see. Uh, you know who could apply for this? Melissa Barrera, because uh, apparently she's not doing Scream 7. Wild story actually just broke right before we started recording. Uh, Melissa Barrera has been dropped from Scream 7 after social media posts amid the amid the Israel Hamas war. Uh, this is not great because she's definitely the star of Scream 5 and 6. I have a theory behind this, uh, and it involves a bit more about movies and casting. Uh, but I did want to get your hot take, Andy. Anything on what? What, what, what is this? What is this about? So this is just part of a larger divide within Hollywood uh, today. Actually, Susan Sarandon was dropped from her uh, management company uh, because of, of comments made. Uh, which didn't seem too inflammatory to me. Uh, same thing with Melissa Barrera. Uh, she's also been cut from the uh, the whatever new Cloverfield movie was in development as well. So she's kind of getting axed a lot lately. Um, oh dang! So yeah, it's not just this this film, uh, but it's de- it's definitely very divisive uh, topic in Hollywood right now. Yeah, uh, her comments listed here in the Hollywood Reporter include quote Gaza is currently being treated like a concentration camp cornering everyone together with nowhere to go no electricity no water people have learned nothing from our histories and just like our histories people are still silently watching it all happen um here's the thing and and i i i think this is worth mentioning because i believe that i'm right about everything and i want to jump in here i'm sure that that comments like this uh, ruffle feathers i have no doubt that that's true uh but i should say like i think it's notable that melissa barrera has been a little limelighted by co-star Jenna Ortega in these movies. Uh, if you don't remember in Scream 5, uh, Melissa Barrera is the lead. Her sister, Jenna Ortega, uh, is nearly murdered but manages to survive. And let's remember, Scream 5 came out in January 2022, right? Twenty, Yeah, 2022. Um, in March 2022, that year, X comes out, where Jenna Ortega is not only featured prominently, she's on most of the posters. She's most of the marketing for that movie. She gets about as much marketing time as Mia Goth. And then November 2022, Wednesday comes out on Netflix. And Jenna Ortega immediately gets pushed to the front. She is uh, landing hosting responsibilities on SNL. And clips are coming out on TikTok of the show. And then in Scream 3, 2023, Jenna Ortega is immediately pushed to equal casting. She's back for the film inexplicably with this. Well, I guess they explain this line about her coming to college and Melissa Barrera goes with her. It's hand waving. 
It's real hand-waving. Like, so I, I don't mean to say that what Melissa Barrera said didn't bother people. Maybe it did for whatever reason somebody would be bothered. I do mean to say that, like, Jenna Ortega is absolutely going to be the star of Scream 7. And they're just going to do some kind of, yeah, hand-wave thing to Melissa Barrera's character who is very much set up to be the protagonist of Scream 7 at the end of Scream 6. Scream 6 has this whole, like, dark passenger thing. Um, I, they're just going to, I don't know, hand-wave her away. I mean, they got rid of, uh, what, Sidney Prescott, right? Why couldn't they change it up again and just get rid of your lead? It's it's the damnedest thing. Scream will continue. I'm really bummed for Melissa Barrera. That's what I have to say about it. It's unfortunate, and she seems to maybe been blacklisted a little bit, um, as as have a, num- a number of other celebrities for their kind of stance on this situation in the Middle East. Uh, we'll see what, just what that leads to and where. I mean, it, it's kind of affecting people on all sides of it. Um, it's unfortunate, but yeah, I think you're absolutely right. Jenna or- Ortega is rocketing her star yeah. on the rise, and it's it's so easy to and you know what? Maybe they just didn't want her, and they just needed a reason, and now they have it to uh, cut. But maybe, Je- yeah, Je- right. Like I, I don't know. Jenna Ortega can, can put that whole franchise on her back. Yeah, I feel like if Jenna Ortega was not in these films or had been axed in Scream Five, uh, this would not, this may not be happening because Scream wouldn't have a lead to pivot to. But she's right there, and Wednesday season two is going to come out, and it's like it's just so obvious to me that they're like, we want to make money, right? Like we're changing directors over from Radio Silence to uh, what's his name, the guy who did Happy Death Day, uh, Christopher Landon. Like, why not change the guard, right? Like, I, I don't know. And anyway, speaking of changing guard, uh, we got to talk about these Superman legacy casting this uh, announcements. I'm gonna be honest. I don't think I hate any of these, like right off the top. But Andy, you're the comic, you're the comic man here on the show. Uh, when did you hear about this, and who's who's being cast in uh, New Superman Legacy? Just yesterday, uh, one Nicholas Holt was cast as Lex Luthor. Nicholas Holt, of course, was in Mad Max Fury Road, um, Renfield. He's been in a, in a ton of things. He's having a great career. He was Beast in the uh, X Men First Class movies uh, over a decade ago. Um, he is actually auditioned for both Superman and Batman. He he auditioned for the Robert Pat- Pattinson Batman uh, that eventually went to him. Uh, so he's been close to the edge, and he was finally uh, was given this role as Lex Luthor. And I'm really excited about this. I think he's a phenomenal actor who can f- maybe do this role justice. This role hasn't really been done correctly ever. Like even the Gene Hackman one is kind of classic, but it it's also it's very campy. It's very like played for laughs um the jesse eisenberg lex luther was real bad they, they decided to make him mark zuckerberg and make him this eccentric quirky strange uh bill, yeah. bill billionaire which he is not like that in the comics at all if you've ever read any superman comic he's like a shrewd businessman that will win at all costs um that's the character and that's not what jesse eisenberg was so i th- i think if they stick to that uh this could be great and i also hope that he's not the just the villain i hope he's just a player kind of like how jim gordon is in every batman movie i hope that we have uh lex luther is just someone who's going to be there but he's not necessarily the main villain yeah i i think uh, i the casting is a good decision uh nicholas holt has done a lot of great work we already know he looks good bald he was in mad max fury road right he's done a lot of comic book stuff um, most recently yeah, I loved him in the menu where he is like a total dick, man. Like he's great in the menu. 
And then in, uh, God, the, the Great on Hulu, three seasons of being the king and being a complete monster, but also hilarious. Like, Holt is really good at playing kind of a conniving weakling, right? A man who's like a bit of a coward, but has power and believes he knows how to use it. And like in that way, I think him playing opposite the Man of Steel could be really cool. It will definitely be different than what we've seen, just like Eisenberg's like Zucker Luther was different than what we've seen. Um, but I, I I think it Zuckerberg. Uh, what am I? Jesse Eisenberg's character. Yeah, right. He he was kind of like this Mark Zuckerberg less Luther guy. It'll be different, but I think he's a solid pick. Also, uh, Skylar Gazzando as as Jimmy Olsen, right? Right. Um, that was just announced today uh Skylar Gazzando is, is a very underrated actor he's literally been working since a child has been in the industry over 20 years uh he was most famously in uh Booksmart from a few years ago he did 30 episodes of the Santa Clarita Diet he's also in the Righteous Gemstones he, uh Jimmy Olsen is of course the photographer of the Daily Planet in the the Superman uh, verse and uh, Skylar Gazzando somewhere someone that has he has 70 acting credits in different like he's been this man's been working for a long time and he's also he's part of that generation of people like Beanie Feldstein and Caitlin Deaver that that we saw um, in Booksmart that a lot of those star people have gotten bigger roles bigger stars and he's just hasn't quite got it yet and now he's finally landed this really big role again this is like the lex luther he's going to be a character a player in the superman verse probably be around for several films not just the one so i'm really excited for that me too yeah also regular on hbo's the righteous gemstones big fan uh skylar gazanda is a great land for jimmy olsen he's perfect yeah i think um regarding lex's like larger role in the movie i think you're right andy i don't think he's going to be main villain or anything i think he's just kind of going to be there like he's just going to help fill out the universe almost a la like penguin in yeah uh the batman the right batman. like not even really the main bad guy but like definitely a part of the world and like that's important i think um one more story this week before we move into thanksgiving and our other reviews uh regarding the box office uh, this hunger games prequel i think didn't maybe do as well as they had wanted it to uh what do you know about this andy uh, the Hunger Games came in at forty-four million, which was just under expectations. They were hoping something closer to the fifty million, so it's not too far off off the mark. Did pretty well over the seas. However, the big story that's been getting all the clicks is that the Marvel suffers historic drop, almost an eighty percent drop in the second weekend. Most movies, especially Marvel superhero films, make all their money in the first weekend, and then there's a, usually a pretty steep sixty to seventy percent drop off. Nearly eighty percent for this. This is like you know, bells and alarms are going off because people are like, this is the largest drop of all time for any Marvel property in the last 15, 16 years of 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 the Mar of the MCU. The uh, MCU is cooked. And, it, and it's a little bit hyperbolic right now, but there's a number of reasons why th this is not doing well, which we have point pointed out. Also, I, I said this from the beginning, this movie's been set up to fail um, and it's doing kind of ex exactly that. Uh, we also had Trolls Band Together come in at number three, I think, and then Thanksgiving was also in, in the top five, which we'll, we'll talk more about shortly. There's a real issue of word of mouth with uh, Marvel's new features. Uh, Ant-Man Quantumania held the uh, previous record drop from week to week. It dropped off 69% in week two. And Andy and I walked out of that movie, along with our buddy who went and saw it, and we were talking about it just in the lobby of the theater. And we were like, nobody's going to go tell their friends to see this. 
Like, no, yeah, the drop's going to be insane. Like, no one is going to go home and tell them, oh, my God, you got to go see the new Marvel movie. And, like, there was a time when that's all we were doing, right? It was water cooler conversation, what was going on in the new Avengers film. Like, everybody had to go see it. There was a whole thing about no spoilers, right? Now, people are not doing that. Like, the word of mouth on these things is terrible because, A, they're just not as good as they used to be, and, B, they're kind of cannibalized from what came before, you know? And, like, this is part of... Bob Iger's short-sighted strategy with Disney that he's been running for the last decade that is starting to fall through. You cannot continue cannibalizing your own properties. It is short-sighted. You will make money today. You will not build a future for tomorrow. And like this seems to be the problem that Marvels is running into. I thought we were going to see more of this with Guardians of Galaxy 3. Very pleasantly was surprised to see that wasn't the case. People turned out for James Gunn's work. And it seems like when it comes to announcements that a lot of people are excited about the Superman movie, I bet this doesn't see this kind of drop-off. Aquaman later this year? Maybe. I don't know. But what I do know is people are getting tired of comic book movies and they got to do something different. And Marvel's tragically lands in this space just like Ant-Man Quantumania where it just doesn't have the juice it used to have. And that's it. That's 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 what I think it is. As for Hunger Games, man, I, I remember when I saw the first teaser for this Hunger Games movie. It was like, oh no, who wants this? This feels like a movie that was going to be made by a studio who decided people would want it rather than by the desire of an audience who wants more of this story. But Bread I haven't from seen a it. Stone. That's right. Andy saw it. We're going to talk about it after our Thanksgiving review. We should probably just jump right into it. But Andy, any other thoughts on this before we jump in? Uh, like I said, it said, it's a shame that the Marvels isn't doing well. It's a much better movie than things like The Flash, than Black Adam, than um, Ant-Man Quantumania. Uh, what was the other one? Uh, Shazam 2. So we've had like a string of like five pretty mediocre superhero movies and then this one actually comes along and is better than the rest but it's just at the tail end of a bad run and it's just kind of taking the brunt of it that's right if you want to let us know what you thought of the marvels if you've seen it uh, head over to our youtube comments and just dogpile on with everybody else please do uh yeah definitely won't hurt but you can also you know just email us mail us from view or comment or whatever i promise we, we love the engagement but with that, we need to move into our first review of the episode. Andy's graciously agreed to take the summer on this one. Bit offbeat, bit excited, uh, certainly seasonal. Andy, please take it away. Thanksgiving. So this movie has a really interesting history. Uh, it, the concept originally started in 2007 as part of Quentin Tarantino's Grindhouse feature, which was two movies, uh, Planet Terror and Death Proof. And it had a bunch of fake trailers between them uh, of upcoming like B-horror movies. And one of them was called Thanksgiving, directed by Eli Roth about a Thanksgiving kind of themed uh, slasher killer on the loose um, in the town of, of Plymouth. And so that was in 2007. Now, 15, 16 years later, they have made this fake trailer into a very real movie. And that trailer is very, it's like two and a half minutes long. It's like a real deal uh trailer and it's played for for laughs it's very it's super campy and it's got um so much film grain on it and anyways our tooth our 2023 version of this uh we're in the town of plymouth thanksgiving right around the, the corner uh happy family sits down excited for the the week to come uh but they have a bl big black friday sale that is going on this starts the film and every whole town is there. Everyone's super excited, but uh, but things turn take a tragic turn, and this Black Friday sale turns into mayhem, a riot. People are killed. 
in kind of cartoonishly grotesque fashion. Someone's like crushed by a shopping cart, that's that sort of thing. Lots of people lose their lives, uh, and it's it's this massive tragedy. And then we fast forward one year later uh, to the next Thanksgiving, and the town is still like reeling from from the riot and all the deaths. And uh, there's people that are upset and protesting that this kind of Walmart esque box store is, is still opening on on Black Friday. And they don't you remember the, the lives we lost? Um, and in the midst of all that, a killer has come to Plymouth to exact revenge on those responsible for the Thanksgiving or the Black Friday riot for the the people in charge, people who let it happen, security, these kinds of things. And so that killer is on the the loose. And so we have, of course, in any slasher film, we have a group of teenagers led by Nell Verlax Jessica who are trying to stay alive and also discern the identity of the killer. This also stars Gina Gershon and Patrick Dempsey uh, as he, he's like the, the town sheriff. It, this, this movie has a lot of like tropes and really leans into them of, of a lot of slasher stuff. And uh, it's a lot of fun. Zach, what'd you think? So I was definitely skeptical walking into Thanksgiving. Uh, I definitely figured it was going to be, you know, just kind of a goofy holiday horror. I, I think my expectations were on par with like how I felt about last year's Violent Night, the David Harbour feature where he plays Santa Claus and he's in like a house and a bunch of baddies show up and he's got to do like this diehard thing to save the family from Christmas. You, you might have seen it. And I, I kind of felt the same way. It looks goofy, a bit more horror, but it's Eli Roth, right? I like Eli Roth fine. That guy made Hostel and that one movie about a bunch of cannibals in South America, I think. Uh, and I know he's working on that new Borderlands feature, which I think is probably going to be not good. But apparently, uh, he stopped down work on that. He got Tim Miller to work on that so he could come over and work on Thanksgiving, which, looking at interviews, is a movie he seems genuinely passionate about. Because watching it, you'd think, okay, it's kind of like a teen slasher movie you go see with your friends. But Roth feels differently. He says this is his send-up to Halloween, to... Jason Voorhees, this is his send-up to any slasher ever. This is the most slasher-oriented movie he's ever done. And it has all the hallmarks, right? You've got your uh, masked villain. You, you've got your whodunit. It could be anybody in the cast, right? You've got your set of core teens who are all super annoying and text-during movies, and you can't almost can't wait to see you get slaughtered. You've got your uh, high body count with interesting kills. Some of them you laugh, some of them you cringe because they're disgusting, <laughs> I was genuinely surprised at how much I ended up liking Thanksgiving. It is by far, uh, far from a perfect movie, uh, but it is really fun. And I think it will actually end up being something I end up watching at later holidays. Uh, what do you think, Andy? What's the best place to start talking about this? Uh, so I think our setup, our, our plot is pretty interesting because we, we we start off kind of at a family dinner and we meet our cast of characters, Patrick Dempsey's the the, the town sheriff and you have Jessica and her, her dad is uh, is the owner of what the, of Wright Mart, which is a stand in for Walmart, of course, and they, they're kind of arguing and someone's got to go work work because it's it's Black Friday and we have a, kind of a long intro or opening scene where we have this big setup of everyone trying to get into this store. The teens kind of sneak in and, and try because they're trying to get some get in on the deals as, as well. But then the townspeople become unruly and they got really thick New England accents. It it makes for a, a pretty funny uh, and ridiculous opening. Um, and then I said, then quickly pivots to its slasher uh, trappings where we get our 
our uh, our killer who was named John Carver, I, I think, in very much an ode to John Carpenter, um, who dresses like a, a pilgrim, but has has this like pilgrim mask that he wears. So we we, do, we don't know who he is, and he's in in something that makes us very modern. He's posting a, a lot on Instagram, posting some of the gruesome kills, um, live streaming some of it. And that's part of how people know what's going on is like, oh, look, the killer just, just posted us on on his Instagram. Uh, so it, it it's a little s- silly, but it it's so much tongue in cheek. Like some of this, I, I was like, this is almost like scary movie level, like self-awareness. Yeah, like Eli Roth has uh, like cringe horror down to a science. Like he can he can torture somebody on screen and I'm sitting there writhing in my seat like, oh, God, that looks awful. Right. Hostile. Uh, that happens in this movie for sure. There is some grisly stuff. And one of my favorite moments in the movie in regards to how Roth, I think, looks at technology and horror features, right? How are you going to have somebody getting chased by a slasher if they have a cell phone and can just call 911? He leans in. He leans all the way in, right? So our character is using Instagram and TikTok. Our, our killer is using Instagram to lure victims in. And one of my favorite like laughs from the movie that I think like shows just how well this movie can walk like the slasher genre and the comedy genre is when early in the movie, a character is attacked and in trying to get away, they end up like locking themselves in a closet and they get out their phone and they can't open the lock screen because they're like, (laughs) their phone's covered in blood. So they try to do face (laughs) ID and it doesn't work anyway. And there's like, oh, like throw the phone. It's so great. And it feels so fitting for every time in my life. I can't get my phone to open and face ID doesn't work anyway. And it's like, God, like I hate, I hate this junk. Like Roth takes takes the opportunity to, I think, bend parts of the genre that would otherwise be a problem into something laughable when possible, and otherwise like sticks pretty close to what's worked in the past as far as horror trappings go. Like you've got a very solid plot with a big cast of characters, all with different motivations. It's anybody's guess who the killer is. I feel very confident in saying I I had guessed who it was going to be before I even saw the movie and I was totally right. Love that. That feels (laughs) great. Makes you want to go tell your friends. I was right about the movie. Like, yeah, I, I was I was surprised at how well I was engaged with what was going on in the film, not only because the plot moves effectively with a lot of characters, but because the tone's sharp. It's horror, it's funny, like it, it's it's and it's cut on a razor's edge. Like it's 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 either one or the other, I think, typically, which can turn people off because sometimes it's too sometimes it might feel too tongue in cheek. And I should say before before I wrap this point, because it's getting way too long. Some of the references uh, to seasonal events are a little outdated. The Black Friday riot at the opening of this film is like half a decade old. But again, they came up with this gimmick in 2007 when Grindhouse came out. So it's been a minute. Uh, I feel okay saying your Black Friday references are a little outdated. But still, like the spirit of it is there and I can respect that. It's a it's a nostalgic Thanksgiving movie, right? Yeah, I I um it's definitely a lot of fun. I felt that way as as well because we like we do so much online shopping now. We we don't have the kind of right. I I recently saw a tweet that's like, you know, I miss the days when when people die on on Black Friday. Um which is which is real dark. But I I think one one of the things that kind of is it doesn't work as well is that the plot both moves very quickly, like too quickly a lot of times and also not fast enough it, it gets real it get it'll get slow in moments and then it'll also move through set pieces very quickly and it has a lot of individual setups that, that are really fun like there's a chase in a school there's uh 
an action scene during a parade. There's and and these a lot of this is taken from the 2007 trailer, like shot for shot, or at least the idea is there's uh, this really cringy moment w- involving a trampoline and a knife, uh, and so th- there's a lot of like s- small setup set pieces that work really well, but they don't necessarily all connect v- together very well. It's not very fluid from uh, kind of step to step. That's kind of the the only thing that that doesn't work as well, and and it's it's a lot like. Uh, uh, Eli Roth definitely has so many things he wants to cover, so many scenes he wanted to do, and he just kind of threw them all in together. Yeah, it ends up moving pretty timely. What an hour forty six! Like it's not yeah. a long feature, which is nice. And I guess like what I thought I'd compare this to in my head when I had heard about the Grindhouse connection was like uh, Tusk, right? The Kevin Smith movie. Uh, that was a horror film where Justin Long, uh, a podcaster, is slowly turned into a walrus surgically by a crazed scientist. And that came about as a conversation on uh, Kevin Smith's podcast with his co-host buddies. And they talked about it one day and they thought it was funny. So he wrote it down and then kept thinking about it and ended up turning into a feature. That's a little how this feels like with Grindhouse, right? Like Eli Roth was making this thing with Tarantino and Rodriguez. And he was like, yeah, I'll put a trail in there. It'll be funny Thanksgiving. But, like, I, I can confidently say that this is such a more competent work than Tusk was. Like, obviously, Roth and Smith are two very different filmmakers. Uh, and and for a goofy idea that somebody came up with and just kind of put together, Roth manages to put this together really efficiently. There are definitely plot holes, for sure. But, like, in any slasher, there's plot holes. There's a great uh, scene where one of the characters discovers, like, a wealth of security footage from the night of the riot, right? The Black Friday riot. And uh, it's like a year old and it's on a hard drive and it's like 4K and it looks perfect. And it's like, that's <laughs> never, ever how security footage, you know, like that's whatever. Don't think about it too much. All right. Don't worry how the killer gets from this side of town to that side of town so fast. Like, it's not the point. The point is you're supposed to just kind of have a fun time hanging out with your friends going to see Thanksgiving. And I think in that way, like the best time to see this film is like opening night with your buddies, right? Like, I feel like I, I saw it on a quiet Sunday morning, but, like, I could almost hear kids, like, snickering, like, uh, you know, in the theater, like, watching it, just goofing off with their friends, laughing about stuff. Like, and in that way, like, that's exactly what a slasher is supposed to be. So when I go watch Eli Roth talking about in interviews about how excited he is for people to see this, that this is his, like, slasher film send-up, I, like... I have trouble disagreeing with him. I think he's kind of right. I think in that, like, if that's what he was aiming for, I think he nailed it. Yeah, I saw this with a uh, kind of a small, smaller crowd. I purposely skipped a busier showing because I was like, that's going to be all teenagers and I'm probably going to lose my mind. So I went with a little bit more mixed. Uh, I wanted to talk about our cast a little bit here. It's actually a pretty large group because we have our group of teens, which is like six people. And then we also have our group of adults, which is almost as many. Uh, Patrick Dempsey, like I said, is the uh, local sheriff. You have uh, her her dad, uh, Thomas Wright, uh, right, played by uh, the great Rick Hoffman, who's like the the town, like the rich guy in town. You got other supporting adults, and then you have like six kids, and they're like, it is so funny because they're they're so stereotypical and, and so tropish, but it's like it's so self aware, like it's on that on purpose. Cause, but it's like a group of jocks and their girlfriends, and like they're mostly mean, but are the main character Jessica is the one nice one. Um, I, I did want to mention uh, one of the teen characters is uh, played by Addison Ray, who, if you don't know, is a massive, massive TikTok star. Shot up was one of the 
she was like number one or two for a while as far as most followers on TikTok. She's now pivoted into film and TV, which is kind of crazy to think about that uh, that's where <laughs> uh, she started from. Yeah. Um, and and she's finding this not a not a huge role, not the lead or any or anything. Uh, but it's a big cast, and it's it's fun. Like I said, our jocks are mean. They're cruel. They they don't care about anyone. They they meet fitting ends. Uh, and our our main we have a couple of good people who are who are trying to solve solve the case, but also stay alive. Um, so it's a fun time. Not Gina Gershon is criminally underused in this, but uh, fun to see her in here. Gina. You know, I can't talk about it because it'd be spoilers. Uh, Gina Gershon's great in this movie. Everybody's great in this movie. We got to move on, unfortunately, because we got a long show. We got a lot to get to. I don't know if I have many more thoughts on this. I don't want to spoil it, but I can say um, before we get to formal recommendations, that, like I said, I was, I was surprised at how much I ended up liking Thanksgiving. Like I, I went in with a bit of a smirk and ended up walking out with, with a grin. So uh, with that, Andy, any other thoughts for recommendations? I think I'm ready. Andy, would you recommend Thanksgiving? Definitely recommend it to fans of horror. If you're into the horror genre, you'll be right at home. Like you'll recognize so many references to other horror properties, the slasher, all the slasher genres uh, as well. Like I said, it's really funny. It's pretty self-aware. It's somewhere between Scream and Scary Movie in its self-awareness. Uh, there's some really funny moments. There's a lot of really cringe, uh, painful moments as well. Either Roth really juggles uh, all all aspects of it. Definitely fun in in a group um if you're not a fan of horror probably probably skip though yeah same it's definitely a horror film uh, for horror's sake but it's pg-13 i think it, no it's got to be r it's rated r for sure not yeah, take it yeah, back. This is an r-rated, fe- r-rated feature yeah they, they start dropping the f-bomb fast in the open i remember being like oh yeah this is definitely an r-rated film uh great for kids to sneak into right not that i'm advocating you should sneak into movies but this just feels like that kind of feature. And in that way, like, I think it, la- I think it lands it. I think Thanksgiving's not a bad time. Definitely horror though. Like if you're not a horror person, don't think, don't throw this on during the holiday thinking it's going to be plain strains and automobiles. It isn't, but not a bad time with that. We're going to move into our next segment. Cause we got to move through this. Andy, you mind uh, introducing this for us? It's time for the trailer park. So we have two quick trailers that just came out this week. The first one that that dropped uh, is for Madam Web, which is a Sony Marvel production offshoot of of Spider Man. Takes place within the Spider Man universe. Does not involve Spider Man himself, and stars. Um, I have the wrong person pull up Dakota Johnson as Madam Web yes. or uh, Cassandra Web, which I don't really know from the comics. I don't read Spider Man. I probably should. Uh, but we just know that she is some somehow probably bitten by a spider, has spider powers, and from the looks of the trailer, there's a she puts together a spider team, uh, also involving Sydney Sw- Sweeney and Isabella Merced as other spider superheroes uh, to to fight another spider. There's a lot of spider people in this. This trailer looks both ridiculous and also like it's going to be a hit. Um, it's got, it's got really cheesy dialogue. Their, their Twitter was mocking. Uh, she's got this stupid line about like, oh, he was in, in the Amazon with my mother researching spiders, researching before, spiders she before she died. Yeah. yeah, yeah. We see Adam Scott as making an appearance as Ben Parker, uh, Peter Parker's, uh, rumor uncle who, fa- R- who rumor. faithfully yeah. it's on the idea of MDB page. It's on the IMDb uh, page. <laughs> yeah. Who's ri- Yeah. Uh, ben Parker is, of course, Uncle Ben, who is uh, killed in the Spider-Man universe. You know, great, 
with great responsibility or with great power comes great responsibility. Uh, this trailer is all over the place. It is cut so fast. I cannot see anything. And like Sydney Sweeney is supposed to be a big selling point of this movie. And they just have the worst looking shots of her. Like she's in glasses or like her, her hair is not done up. She like, she just kind of looks, uh, it, it's the old trope of, you know, she's going to throw off her glasses and all of a sudden, uh, be super hot. Uh, but this trailer moves so fast. You cannot tell what, what's going on. It looks like a huge mess. I, but I think it's going to be like the Venom movies and make a ton of money. So I rewatched uh, Suspiria, the Luca Guadagnino film, oh, just just a couple months ago. Um, yeah, for October, it's getting into the Halloween season, and I was reading about Dakota Johnson training like for months in the dance studio, like with Mia Goth. The two of them got to be really good friends, like months of work to get the performance dialed in and tuned to be perfect. Dakota Johnson brings this level to her work because she doesn't want to be the Fifty Shades of Grey girl, right? Like, it'd be really easy to just be the Fifty Shades of Grey girl for the rest of your career. And she works so hard to not be that. It is crushing to watch her in this trailer because she looks like the most vapid, shallow character I've ever seen in a comic book feature. This is Sony's Spider-Man villain universe, right? Like... And Sydney Sweeney and Dakota Johnson and friends have all been sucked into it. Do you think Adam Scott's going to say at the end of the movie, with great power comes great responsibility? Or do you think somebody will say it to him and he'll have like a reaction shot where he's like, oh yeah, that's smart. Like, do you, like when do you think that's going to come in? Because I bet he just says it. I bet that's like the tip off that he's Ben Parker, right? Like, it's either that know. or he says like half of it where he's like, yeah, I mean, when, when you just, when you have so much power, it just creates. Uh, you know, you got to have a lot of, and then he's just going to get cut off. That's got to be, yeah, it's got to be the line. Uh, we'll we'll see. We'll see what happens with Madam Web. It, it, I think it looks super weak. Uh, but you know what? I thought Venom 1 and 2 weren't good, and those movies killed it. Killed it at the uh, almost box a billion. Office, so. The first Venom made almost a billion dollars. Mm. Outrageous. There's one more trailer we're going to talk about. Uh, this is Aquaman and the Lost Kingdom. We have already briefly talked about this of course it's coming out this year's is the last comic book feature that is dropping uh in 2023 this is dc's last film in their kind of current iteration of the dc universe of course uh, jason momoa returning as aquaman the new king of atlantis i think because uh, i didn't see the first movie which i realized would sound like it invalidates me even talking about this but andy's seen it he's got thoughts in a second uh, he's got a return to the sea to to continue, it seems, fighting Black Manta uh, from the first film with his new trident. Uh, and he's got to go get his brother, uh, played by the guy who's in the Conjuring films, Patrick Wilson. Patrick Wilson. Uh, to, to help him Ocean out. Master. Amber, Amber Heard did not get her role diminished in this film, despite the absurd amount of press she's had with her late ex recently what do you think about aquaman andy because i think this movie might be at least domestically a, a bit of a dud i'm not gonna lie i have no shame i'm i'm kind of excited about <laughs> aquaman too uh the first aquaman is a lot of fun it is and now we'll remind listeners it is dc's like highest grossing property of the last 10 years like since the dceu started only film to make over a billion dollars in the dc universe uh, the Robert Pattinson Batman I think did really well, but still, did, uh, the first Aquaman did really well overseas, particularly. Um, and the reason it does is because it's a great spectacle. It's a little bit like the Fast and the Furious movies. You don't have to, 
speak English very well to understand it. You you just can watch and kind of understand what's going on. It's a they the first one had these big undersea battles with huge special effects, thousand like thousands of creatures fighting other thousands of creatures. Um, it's it's a huge spectacle and it worked so well overseas. And this looks like it's continuing a lot in the same vein. We get a little bit more plot in this trailer where uh, there's this dark trident that Black Manta is trying to get so he can control some sort of dark army and he needs uh, Aquaman's blood so he kidnaps his kid. And it's like a whole family affair. We see Patrick Wilson's Ocean Master uh, who's been, I guess, imprisoned is being brought, brought, brought out or rescued by Aquaman to also join in the fight. Uh, same thing. There's going to be tons of underwater sea battles, and I cannot wait. And I think it's going to be a hit. I know. I don't think it's going to be a hit, but I didn't see the first one. I might be wrong. I think it will do good. Uh, I don't. I don't know if it will be DC's next big earner. But with that, we got to move into uh, our next review of the episode. Andy's going to take this one, a bit of a mini review, uh, and then I'll follow up with the holdover shortly after. Andy, please uh, take it away. The Hunger Games. The Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes. Longest title ever. I uh, saw this over the weekend. I have seen the first Hunger Games movie and I've read the first Hunger Games book. Uh, people told me that the first book was the best and so I didn't bother reading anymore after that. Wow. But I have not seen that movie in, in over a decade. Uh, this this takes place uh, 60, 70 years before the, first, the events of the first Hunger Games. Uh, this is, I think, the third third annual so they're very they're very new and the world is uh actually reminds me a lot of the video game bioshock this kind of retro futuristic place um where everything looks like the 60s but they have technology that we, that we don't have uh we meet uh coriolanus snow who i completely forgot who he was at all but he is the main villain in the the other the original hunger games movies and books he's like the president of of panem um, so we see this movie is his origin story, which I didn't know. I thought this was going to be about <laughs> Rachel Zegler's character. Um, she she is, of course, pulled as tribute to be part of these early Hunger Games. And uh, Snow is part of this el- elite uh, tier of of people, uh, this kind of aristocratic class. But his uh, his family is going poor, and he needs to find a way to kind of save their, their reputation. Uh, these kind of aristocratic people are sent to be mentors to the tributes, help them survive. Um, he, of course, gets uh, paired with Rachel Zegler's Lucy Graybeard, who's kind of a uh, gypsy character who sings. She sings a lot. Of course, Rachel Zegler has an amazing voice and was in uh, Steven Spielberg's uh, West Side Story. So the, they gave her a bunch of opportunities to sing, and it kind of... Feels weird because no one else sings in the in the thing, but they do make her a musician, um, and and they get they get paired together. They have a little bit of a romance, but he has a lot of ulterior motives. This movie's really long; it's almost three <laughs> three hours. Um, it was all right. It's got it's got some things that work. It's got some things that don't. Uh, probably definitely for fans of the of the series, though. So. I am the perfect person to ask you about this because I have not read any of the Hunger Games books. I haven't seen a single film. So great. Uh, But I've got some, I think, good rounded questions that will appease those of us who have seen them and uh, maybe, you know, keep you interested if you haven't, just like me. So first question, Hunger Games, regarding kind of the trappings of the universe, it is a wildly imaginative visual 
Beast. Uh, it's lots of bold colors and huge costumes and cosmetics sort of. and wigs. <laughs> yeah, and I wanted to ask about our cast in it, right? Some big names. We've got, uh, what, Tom Blythe, Rachel Ziegler. Uh, you got Viola Davis, Jason Schwartzman, Peter Dinklage, Hunter Schaefer, a bit of a newcomer. Uh, how do these very real people juggle this very fictional world because to look at the trailers it looks like they're reading shakespeare like it's the, it's the realest thing ever like for a two and a half hour film are you tuned in the whole time or do you find yourself slipping out of interest like i said th this is definitely for fans of the series i couldn't remember anything from the first hunger games like i didn't know who Coriolanus snow was i couldn't remember even though he's the main uh, antagonist at the of the original books um so i just didn't remember a whole lot. I, I feel like this cast is somewhat wasted. Like Viola Davis is great. Uh, she does this very gr incredible kind of villain thing that she's so good at. Um, Peter Dinklage is also really good. He's not in it enough. Kind of. I, I, I wish his character was in it a little bit more. Jason Schwartzman kind of plays this uh, late night host and does a good job with that. But our star is Tom Blythe. He's fine. Rachel Z Zegler is great, but it's just um, <laughs> he's like acceptable. I've read, I, I've read the first book and seen the first movie, and I just but I just like don't really remember the world very much. Um, to kind of catch everyone up, if you're, if you're not familiar, the Hunger Games are a set of like uh, kind of Olympic games, and it's a killer be killed where twelve to twenty four young people from each district in this fictional. Uh, play, which is basically a post-apocalyptic North America. Two tributes are chosen from each each district, and they put them in an arena and say, go at it, and uh, they all have to try and kill each other and stay alive. Uh, uh, people, And they watch this on TV, very much like Truman Show-esque. It's very gladiatorial combat, um, and they can get help from outside. There's a whole like PR thing thing that has to happen as well you have to get people on your side you got to people get people to donate money and to your cause and send you stuff while you're in their arena this takes place in, in a very small arena which is different from the original films and books in those it's like you know it's like you're in the wilderness um in those original books you start in this arena and then you go out into like the forest and things and you have to hide uh this is just like a small arena the size of like a football field so it's a much different uh setup which, which was a big surprise to me like i said th there's so much like if you are not familiar with this property and the books and the films like you're going to be pretty lost i was pretty lost and i've read one of them all right so yeah, i was gonna say as far as tr engaging in the larger universe i wanted to ask about how this film kind of stands it is a prequel right it's it's before the events of the previous films but it's also a little smaller in scope um Looking at the runtime, two hours, 37 minutes, that's a lot of movie. Um, I know there's supposed to be more of these, right? I wanted to ask about how this kind of fits in at least the idea of an immediate setup to be followed by a sequel or two, right? Like this is, I'm assuming this is not going to be the only one. So this is, this is based on a book. Like Suzanne Collins did write this prequel. And it is a standalone book, but this movie doesn't sound, feel like a standalone movie. It feels like it's open for more. We'll see if we get that. Um, it's way too long. The first two acts feel like one movie, and Act Three, then, which is another forty-five minutes, feels like a completely separate movie. And and it's the one time I think I'll probably say that this probably should have just been two different films or a series uh, of sorts. Like it doesn't really work. 
it is a little boring in times. There's a whole lot of table setting, lots of people talking in rooms for a long time, setting things up. The action pieces work uh, pretty well, but it's also like it's PG-13 violence, so I'm just like, I never feel like anyone's like really in danger. Um, maybe that's just because I've watched too much horror. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, it's it's way too long. It should have been, I think, either two movies or just really kind of cut cut down more. There's so much dialogue. It's also, the film is also way too dark visually. There's a whole lot of like night scenes or people talking in dark rooms and I cannot see anyone's face. Like, especially if you're a person of, of color, like, oh my gosh, I can't not make out any facial features at all. It's a really strange you know, choice. That in, in that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, right, well, one, so yeah. One more, one more question because this is a mini review. Yeah, uh, regarding its box office right like i think it i was reading that uh one of the reps for the film said uh or the studio said it, it underperformed domestically but i think overseas it a little overperformed so ultimately i think lionsgate produces they're pleased like they said yeah we're good which like fine but like if you're gonna do a few films which i was under the impression that was kind of the move but maybe that hasn't been announced maybe i'm just got fatigue from like young adult series being turned into multiple films um wh- what do you think they may need to change to pivot to some bigger numbers because typically like subsequent films don't do better. Um, do you think there needs to be a shakeup? Do you think they should maybe not do anymore? Do a series? Like I think Lionsgate is interested in continuing the hunger games universe in some fashion. Having seen this, what do you think? I think they got to get, have less talking, man. They, there's so much just setting things up and so many characters. Like I had a hard time remembering all the characters names, uh, they just got to pick up the pacing. I, I, I think so. We, we kind of see our, our character, Coralina Snow, who's he's he's the antagonist in, in like the main films, but he, he kind of is an okay guy initially, but eventually his like need to get ahead and win and this like kind of turns into a bad guy along the way. It's, it's somewhat of a villain story. So, you know, there's another 60, 70 years but between this and the next one. I'm sure they could come up with, uh, you know, ways that that moves forward. Yeah. Maybe they'll do like uh, HBO is doing with Dune and do like a prequel series of Bene Gesserit sisters, right? The, yeah. About Viola Davis before she got to running the Hunger Games or something. I, I, I don't know. But um, either way, like it, it seems like there's some more. It seems like there's more gas in the tank being on the outside looking in. Would you agree? I don't know because it was it was a hundred million dollar movie and it's only made a hundred million dollars um, and you got a ton of, coming out. I'm not sure how, what kind of legs this have. It, it could kind of catch fire. No, no pun intended with its no core with its yeah. with its core audience and it might have legs. At the same time, there are like seven new releases in the last week, including four releases tomorrow on Wednesday to contend with. So uh, we'll kind of see. It it depends on how how what kind of legs the this movie has andy would you recommend the hunger games the ballad of songbirds and snakes i would only recommend it to fans of the series if you've read the books you've seen the movies you're a big fan of the universe really familiar with it the way you know nerds like myself with are familiar with comic books and star wars if you're that familiar with this probably see you'll enjoy people people that i know that have read the books and stuff haven't have enjoyed it um I thought it was way too long. It's nearly three hours. It feels like two movies squeezed into one. Uh, way too much talking. The action scenes are work pretty good, but I think it's definitely for the one for the fans. 
Yeah. Well, that's... You heard it here first, folks. Uh, the Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes. One for the fans. Uh, and speaking of one for the fans, I'm really excited to talk about this last feature. Uh, it, um, it almost pains me that we had to make this the last feature on this episode, but we talked about it and we figured Thanksgiving was the big release and that's kind of what people are more interested in seeing and then we wanted to cover Hunger Games, but I'm, I'm, I'm so excited to talk about this movie. Uh, this is a very special film uh, from director Alexander Payne. I'm going to be doing the intro, so please excuse my clumsy delivery. The movie is The Holdovers. So, it's 1970, December, right? Turn of the century. Uh, and a school out in West Massachusetts uh, called Barton Academy, a fictional private school, is not a real place, uh, is closing up for the holiday. Uh, and a few students are left to stay over the holiday at the private school because parents are out on vacation or whatever, can't take them. These bummed out students are left at the academy with a, with a cranky old history teacher uh, played by Paul Giamatti. Uh, Mr. Hunnam is his name, or Walleye, as they call him at the school, because uh, Paul Giamatti's Mr. Hunnam has a... <laughs> Glass eye? I think it's a glass lazy eye. eye. A lazy eye. Yeah, a lazy eye or glass eye. I was looking at interviews after the movie, and people seemed a little disputed, but I'm going to say lazy eye. Uh, he smells kind of funny. His hands are overly moist. Uh, uh, Mr. Walleye is the crankiest teacher at Barton Academy. Uh, and, and through one series of events or another, uh, ultimately, most of the kids at school leave, all except for one. Uh, played by uh, newcomer Dominic Sessa, who plays Angus, uh, this young, frustrated student uh, who's stuck at Barton over the holiday with his least favorite teacher, along with uh, one uh, very charming cook, uh, Mary, played by Divine Joy Randolph. The three of them make an, uh, an un untimely holiday trio. Uh, who spend time together for two weeks uh, while everybody's gone from Barton Academy. And what looks like a uh, charming, nostalgic, cozy feature ends up being something that is surprisingly more. And, and coming from the director of Sideways and the Descendants, I don't think this is a big surprise. I'm not super familiar with Alexander Payne's work before this feature, but I've at least heard of those films and the acclaim around them. So I'm very excited to talk about The Holdovers. Andy, what did you think? So I was a little surprised by this. I mean, I was looking forward to it. It looked funny. I liked Paul Giamatti. Um, but I, I was really stunned by this. I've been telling people, like, this might be a new Christmas classic. It might be a, a new kind of Christmas film that, that you watch um, every year. Alexander Payne, is he's most no, known, I think, for Sideways, which came out almost 20 years ago, which also starred uh, Paul Giamatti. He's also done The Descendants with George Clooney, Election from 1999. So he hasn't done a, a ton of films, but but he's the ones he's he's done are well known, and the people in his films have also gone on to win Oscars or been Oscar nominated. So he d he definitely knows what he's doing behind the camera. Uh, but this was really touching. It's really heartwarming, but also it's about very serious issues. Um, it touches on issues. Uh, it, it's right in 1970s, so it's in the in the middle of the Vietnam War. And it touches on issues of class and race and, you know, just personal turmoil between all our all our characters. Uh, Divine Joy Randolph uh, plays the kind of lunch lady person in charge of the cafeteria. And uh, her son has been recently killed in the, the Vietnam War. And he was uh, was able to attend this prestigious school, but he wasn't really a, but they weren't able to afford college. And that's why he joined the war. And so this. This is kind of overshadowing 
well, her her character, but there's this kind of buried grief affecting everyone, which is one of the things the movie is about. But it's a lot of fun, uh, a lot of really funny scenes because you have this kind of generational divide. You you have Paul Giamatti's character, who's who's a middle aged single depressed teacher and then you have the the young the, these young not quite college age students who are acting the, the way uh teenage boys do uh this i thought this was really really charming it's not perfect it's got some issues but um i was really surprised yeah so i think where i want to talk start to talk about this is our setting and then i want to quickly move into characters because yeah our, our trio or our very interesting and nuanced and and each have their own uh, motivations and means. Um, but before I get into that, I want to talk about part of the reason I think this film feels what people would describe as cozy. It's funny. I was looking at an interview before we started the show here and Alexander Payne has gone on record saying he, he hates that people call this movie cozy. He's like, what does that even mean? That's not, it's not even a real thing, but like, I, I think <laughs> it's what this movie feels like for a couple of reasons. One, because it's all shot on location and not a single soundstage shot is in this film, which I did not know. Uh, they shot wow. it all out in uh, a school in West Massachusetts, I think. Like I said, Barton is fictional. I don't remember the exact name of the school where they shot it. Number two, uh, it's, it was a quick shoot, and it's all digital. They all shot it on a small uh, a, a RE camera, and then they added all the film grain, pop-in, everything in post to make it look like it's shot on film and implicitly like to lean into the feeling that this is a film that came out in 1970. Uh, the fonts used in it are all uh, era appropriate. The film opens with like the MPAA logo from like films from the 1970. Like it, it leans all the way in. Even the trailer like is this old school kind of looking trailer. So it feels nostalgic. Like on its face, the holdovers feels like a film from the past. And then like the thing that I think makes it work so good as a Christmas movie outside of just its holiday trappings, of course, because it takes place over the holiday and our characters are directly motivated by a holiday happening is these like unique problems of character. Our three characters, uh, uh, Mr. Hunnam, uh, Mary, uh, the, the chef and Angus, the student, uh, are all so different. And they all have wildly different problems. And just like any good holiday romp, like having a bunch of people who come from different corners of society come together and have to overcome their adversities, like to ultimately enjoy life and enjoy spending time uh, with one another through what should be a special time is like a uniquely holiday thing, right? Like, and I think that's really special. Uh, Paul Giamatti's character, uh, Mr. <laughs> Mr. Onum or Mr. Walleye, is like so grumpy and cranky and intellectual. Like he's such a smart guy because he's had tenure and he's been at the school all this time. But he's also like wildly small inside, right? And and naturally insecure about the things that students roast him for. Uh, uh, Mary, uh, the, the chef, uh, she is an overweight black woman in a school full of thin white dudes. Like, and on top of issues of class that are presented by private school students who have a ton of money and are going to school uh, and are going to have their whole life set up for him. She's lost a son and is actively grieving that at the school where he went and she works like the very same setting. And of course, Angus is left at the school over the holiday and he's the only kid who can't get out of it. And his mom doesn't really care. And she's like, honey, it's fine. I'll send you some money for Christmas. Like it, it's just painful, right? On top of problems with his father, like, I, I think the three of them ending up spending time together is really kind of perfect because 
none of them can solve each other's problems. And like none of them can really understand each other. Uh, but what they can do is understand the situation they're in and learn to like respect each other for it. And you end up getting like this, you know, surprisingly effective script, real bouncy, lots of comedy, very sarcastic. I don't know. You, you get something uniquely special. Yeah. The, the This unlikely trio works so well t together. Um, Dominic, we, we learn it has been, sorry, that's not his name. Angus has been, uh, kicked out of several schools already, and if he gets kicked out of this one, he's going to be sent to a military academy. So he and he's kind of on on the brink. Um, Paul Giamatti's character is is brilliant, but is also just not aware of the world. His dean is like, you got to stop failing these really rich kids that donate to you know. His father's a senator and can help us keep our doors open if maybe you don't fail him. And he kind of just sticks to his guns and say, no, you know, he doesn't deserve to, to pass. I'm not going to give him. So he kind of refuses to understand the way the, the world works. Of course, uh, Divine Joy Randolph's character, Mary, is grieving the, the loss of a son. So we have like these kind of deep, uh, troubled people that, that find family and, and solace together. I found family is definitely a, a, a theme of the movie. Yes. I, I want to talk about how funny this movie is. Like I know I said, bouncy script. It's funny, but like really this movie is a real laugh. Like whether it be subtle digs at one another, right? Like a student throwing a line at his teacher when he's not, when he's not paying attention or Paul Giamatti, like rolling his eyes at like something Angus has done or uh, something maybe explosive Angus acting out of anger, right? The problem student running into the gym and jumping off a trampoline into, into the, into the unfinished floor. Like you get a lot of of really great moments, and I I can't explain why it works so well. I think it's good pacing, uh, genuine setting. Like I said, it's all shot on location, and great character work from Paul Giamatti, who plays it like it's Shakespeare, and Dominic Sessa, who is a newcomer as Angus. This is his only on screen role, and I can't believe it. All he's done is stage plays. This kid immediate immediately needs more work. Like we need to get him in a Wes Anderson picture. We need to get him in something. Uh, more special. And I, speaking of Wes Anderson, I should say that I've noticed a couple of reviewers relating this to early Anderson work, something like Royal Tenenbaums, right? Like not quite as like linear and uh, uh, not linear, but uh, symmetrical as like Anderson's cinematography, but certainly relatable in the way that it's full of kind of warm colors and a cold season and kind of a time where people, I think, long to go again. And Alexander Payne, like it or not, like manages to thread that needle in one way or another to take us to a place where I think we all kind of wish we'd rather be sometimes. Also, fantastic soundtrack. Soundtrack's on Spotify. You should totally go check it out. A lot of old hits, a lot of good stuff. Great soundtrack. Um, Andy, I worry I'm talking in circles. What do you think? What do you, what else you got? Well, yeah, I wanted to talk about our, our cast. Paul Giamatti, like he could not make a bad role. And I was listening to an interview with Alexander Payne. Um, when he started out, making movies uh, and he was playing the Hollywood game. He said, you know, once you got above a certain budget, you had to get a star. You couldn't just like get a good actor. You had to get someone who was going to help a name who would help sell the movie. Uh, I learned that in sideways um, was the first movie where he was able to choose who he really wanted, which was Paul Giamatti. But apparently Brad Pitt and Edward Norton both read for that role, which is incredible because it's kind of about similar to this is about kind of a middle-aged loser. And I was like, you, you're not going to sell Brad Pitt as a middle-aged loser. Um, but it, that, it's been that difficult Ed Norton, for, though. I mean, <laughs> yeah, he's got too much. Yeah, he could do, he would do better, the, but still too much. Yeah. 
This is the uh, worst Ed Norton dig I've ever heard on this show. You're like, well, Brad Pitt couldn't be a loser. But anyway, yeah. right. Yeah. Uh, so it, Alexander Payne is very particular about casting. And, and it's, he said it can be difficult to get who you really want because of, of playing the Hollywood game. And it, that's become easier over the years. But, I mean, Paul Giamatti is just pitch perfect. Uh, it's like he rolled out of bed to play this role. Dominic Sessa is like, where did they find this kid? Because it seems like he, like I would have thought he he'd been acting on TV since he was five. Uh, really solid. He's he's gonna get more work. And Divine Joy Randolph, who I actually recently saw in the HBO's The Idol, the character in there, she's more of a. I think she does stand up comedy. She's more of a comedic person, but does does an incredible turn in in a much more uh, serious role. Um, this movie might be described as a dramedy, as some some people would say. Uh, but it's it's charming and heartwarming. But it's also it's got some really difficult moments. Um, not not depressing, but just, you know, really tapping into the, like the difficulties of the human experience. Yeah. One of these, you'll laugh, you'll cry kind of features, right? Like yeah. you, and, and I think that's, I should have put myself together better when I said it's like early Lewis Anderson. It's emotionally disarming. Like you, you're enjoying it. You're enjoying it. You're enjoying it. And then, oh, by the way, here's a big tug of your heartstrings you didn't expect. Like, and that stuff I think is what stands the test of time. I can say confidently, I'm definitely going to make people watch this with me next holiday for sure i don't even know if it'll be it might be available like vod this holiday and i'll probably yeah, watch it's gonna it be again. streaming yeah yeah it'll be streaming like, I don't know by, where by it'll christmas go. yeah but like i will probably end up paying again to watch this movie i will say it's it's a little too long that's that's the one yeah. i think real critique i've got of it's two hours 13 minutes you probably could have tightened it up to like you know 105 but like it's fine like i think i think it gets us over the line just fine if anything too much of a good thing is never a bad thing right like overall i need to probably watch more of more alexander payne movies i need to go back and visit sideways i still can't believe i haven't seen that film but any other thoughts for recommendations real quick uh so when sideways came out sideways is a small oscar film went on to make like 350 million dollars uh and again the the studio was like you got to get a bigger name you got to, and then you know and it, that movie has stars Paul Giamatti uh, and Thomas Hayden Church, t- right? They're Thomas wine guys, Hayden, right? T- yeah, t- yeah, Thomas Hayden Church, Virginia Madsen. Like it, it is a small cast of character actors, not big names, and that went on to be a, a huge hit. Actually, affected Merlot sales. <laughs> um, there's a crazy story, but be- behind that, but that that is is a classic film, and Alexander Payne's made uh, uh, another one, and I am ready for uh, recommendations. Andy, would you recommend the holdovers? Uh, absolutely. Um, it's a really surprise. Really surprised me. One of the best movies of the year. Great performances. It's a great Christmas movie. Uh, it's funny. It, it has some really serious moments. Like I said, taps into social is- issues about class and, and race. It is a little bit too long. It could probably be 10, 15 minutes shorter, uh, but really enjoyed it. Highly recommend. Same. Holdovers is rock solid. I think it's a new holiday classic. Like, and I know I, I know we talk about big cinema in this show a lot, but like, really, I think even if you're not into big indie cinema, this movie is really cool. It is slow. I, I, I will admit, you know, if your friends want to watch Rudolph and you're like, no, no, let's watch the holdovers. Tonally, you're probably off the mark. It's probably not what they're looking for. 
But like, dude, I would love, I can't wait to really get cozy on the couch under like a big fuzzy blanket with like a cup of hot chocolate or a cup of coffee and watch the holdovers. Like I'm going to make people I love in my life watch it and they're going to tell me it's too weird of a movie, but it's not. It's a really cool feature and I'm, I think it's great and you should totally check out the holdovers. I wish we could have talked about it sooner. God, holdovers is neat, man. I'm, I'm really excited to watch it again. So uh, keep an eye out on the top 10 of the year list. I think you might see the holdovers come up again, uh, for me at least, possibly Andy too. But that's off script episode 233. Good Lord, Andy, another long one. These mini reviews are killing us. I, 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 <laughs> but I think they're important and I want to keep doing them. But man, like I, I also want to keep the show under an hour and I, I find up, I, I, we end up running over every week. What are we watching next week? So a ton of releases this week that are all actually coming out on Wednesday uh, because of the, the Thanksgiving holiday long weekend. We are going to be taking a look at Ridley Scott's Napoleon, his big epic uh, biopic starring Joaquin Phoenix and Vanessa Kirby, nearly three hours long. So that's the big one. And then we're going to be doing a 180 and taking a, a look at some small cinema in the specialty box office, Emerald Fennell's Saltburn, uh, which also opens uh, tomorrow starring Jacob Elordi and Barry Keoghan in we don't really know what this movie is about like it's it's all we know is uh Barry Keoghan's character goes to live at, at Saltburn with uh aristocrats that he doesn't really uh fit in with and that's all all we really know also opening if you're interesting interested this weekend is Disney's Wish uh their animated feature and Nicolas Cage's Dream Scenario we'll see how what comes out on top over the the weekend it's going to be crowded there's so much going on at the box there's too many movies coming out this week it, it, it baffles me that like a new nick cage feature is coming out i'm pretty sure from a24 and we're not just immediately seeing it but there's too much other stuff to go cover like i i think i don't know i i, ho- I hope we talked about this before the show. You don't think Napoleon's going to do well. I hope it does well, but I also am thinking it's tracking to lose money for sure. So I, I was looking at, at tickets, and it's playing at IMAX. And on Monday, I, I looked at um, IMAX tickets for the Wednesday evening showing at 6 p.m. No tickets yeah. bought. Um, so <laughs> I'm already thinking yeah. of, of my puns like Napoleon defeated at the box office, salt burn, Napo- salt yeah. bombs. Like I'm Napoleon, <laughs> Napoleon won't. Yeah, right. Uh, <laughs> uh, it's, I was going to tell you same thing. I bought my Napoleon tickets real early. Uh, my pop's not going to go see it when I'm in, uh, when I'm in town over the holiday here and we're going to go see it Friday after it comes out. And I bought it at a IMAX, uh, IMAX screen, like full IMAX in, in, in the town where they live with laser laser imax and i was like i want to go see it on big screen it's it's ridley scott's sword and sandal i want to do it big and i'm excited and you told me that you thought tickets have been undersold to your theater thursday night so i checked my friday night 7 p.m imax screening dude there's like six more tickets sold in that theater i'm like oh no like i think it might it might be a dud and it's just like killers of the flower moon let's be clear apple is not out to make big bucks at the box office they're there to pull you to their platform and in that way they are expecting these numbers i don't think they're at all surprised by it uh but they did spend 200 million dollars on napoleon so i hope it turns out to be something big also excited about saltburn and i think christine and i are going to go see wish here in the next couple of weeks if we do we'll do a mini review on the show for it for sure because i want to make sure we cover that if we can but if you like what we're doing on Offscript, 
here today, episode 233, or in the past, episode 232, or you think I should stop talking about YouTube, even though we got a lot of cool things going on over there, you can write us at the show at mail at offscriptfilmview.com. You can send us correspondence direct. Andy and I will talk about it, look at it, might even read it live on the show. Uh, you can, of course, comment wherever our show is up. Uh, we're on Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, Instagram, big things going on YouTube. I feel like I already said that. Uh, our podcast is on iTunes and Spotify and Google Play and iHeartMedia and all the audio outlets you can find it on. You might even be listening to us on there right now. And if you are, if you could do us a favor and hit that subscribe button or maybe just that rating and review, I'm good with that too, man. Just hit the five, tell us what you thought and, <laughs> and we'll be on our way. Uh, you can check out our website, offscriptfilmreview.com. You can mail us correspondence, mail offscriptfilmreview.com. I already said that. I feel like I'm, I feel like I'm wanting myself to up, up too much on the in- outro. So Andy, we should wrap it up uh, from all of us at Offscript, uh, the home of Bolt Cinema. I'm Zach Lewis. And I'm Dr. Draper. Thanks for watching.